Welcome to the podcast for Resurrection Lutheran Church in Fredericksburg, Texas. I'm Pastor Garrett Buvinghausen. Today is Tuesday, December 1st, 2020, and we're back from a month-long hiatus uh, for the month of November on our Tuesday morning Bible studies. We've been, we've been busy in other ways, uh, but we've uh, been taking a break from our Tuesday morning Bible studies after that long study we took on the book of Hebrews, um, and uh, decided to come back for the month of December with a shorter study. We'll be in the book of Jonah for four weeks. There's only four chapters, so a chapter a week in the book of Jonah. And uh, we look forward to seeing um, the conversations that we have, the questions we have from those who join us in person. And um, we encourage anyone who's able to come to come join us on Tuesday mornings at uh, 10 o'clock for our study on Jonah, at least for this month of December. And um, also, if you're in town uh, for Wednesdays leading up to uh, Christmas, we have our Advent Midweek Vespers on Wednesdays, both at noon and at 7 o'clock in the evening. So um, we're trying to accommodate as many people as we can and also kind of keep the the, uh, crowds (laughs) or the gatherings uh, a little bit smaller due to social distancing and things like that. But All that aside, um, we have a lot going on here at Resurrection, uh, regardless of the pandemic going on. Uh, Be sure to check our website for the different events that will be taking place um, and the protocols we have in place for uh, COVID-19 and things like that as well, if you're curious. Um, Well, without further ado, here is the recording for our Bible study this morning um, on Jonah chapter 1. Started with a prayer. So let us pray. Stir up your power, O Lord, and come, that by your protection we may be rescued from the threatening perils of our sins and saved by your mighty deliverance. For you live and reign with the Father and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Let's close one of these doors to save the echo. So, it's been about a month since we've had Bible study, and uh, it was a long Bible study last time because we kind of just took our time getting through it all. We were in Hebrews, and that's a pretty good, uh, it's a substantial book. But this one is a little bit shorter. This is to kind of tide us over through to um, Christmas. So uh, Jonah is a short book, only four chapters. We'll only take about four weeks in it. So it'll be uh, it'll lead us all the way up to the 22nd of December, and then we'll take a couple weeks off for Christmas and New Year's, and then we'll begin the new year. I think probably like the Maybe uh, second or second week or so of January, we'll see. We'll, we'll see where we are at that point. And next, we'll be doing Ecclesiastes, I believe, before we move on to a more topical study in the spring. So, do you finally find Jonah? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a little book, you know. It's for a for a notorious book. Uh, it's pretty small, and kind of if if you blink, you miss it while you're flipping through the pages. Yeah. So uh, before we begin, how about um, for those of y'all who have a Lutheran study Bible, you already have this material, but it's blown up so you can see it a little bit. It's some introductory 
things for y'all to have. And uh, Tim, if you want one, you can take one. If not, you got you got that. Pastor Club, would you like one? Thank you can comment on uh, what Luther says and whatnot. Here's one for you and Paul. Pass that to him. I got a few extra for anybody who comes. We also have our fishing licenses in order so we can catch the whale. Yeah, well, I mean, I want to know. You might need more than a pole and a line. You probably need a harpoon. But Thank uh, you. so we um. So before we actually dive into the text, which don't worry, we'll easily get through chapter one today because it's 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 pretty short and straight to the point. And that is something that is nice about Jonah. It's very forthright and forward. So I want to begin, though, by asking, do y'all have any questions about Jonah? Any, any uh, issues that you may have arisen in your studies or um, questions? I guess, what is, what is Jonah about? Can anybody give me a, a general synopsis of the book of Jonah? Getting swallowed by a whale. Hard times. <laughs> Hard times, yeah. Swallowed by a whale or a great fish, right? The Hebrew actually just says fish. So, Pastor Cluck? The people at the time of Christ wanted to have him do a sign mm -hmm. that would let them know that he was telling them the truth. Mm -hmm. And he said, there will be no sign given to you but the sign of the prophet Jonah. Right. In simple terms, Jonah was sent by God to go to Nineveh. Right. He, the story will unfold. But the time Jonah came out of the fish's belly, he looked like Nineveh's God. Mm. This is not in your commentaries. Probably not. It's the Ninevites worshipped a God that was very colored. The skin, Jonah's skin was at least three or four different colors. <laughs> and the minute Jonah walked into the streets of Nineveh, they recognized Jonah as God. That's interesting. Literally. Only comment I want to make. Okay, okay. Well, thank you for that. No, it's I, that's, in the histories, though. You can dig it out. Some I didn't sure. make it up. No, I, 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 I does not make it up. No, I don't. I don't think you did, because that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, the Assyrians and their. This is how God comes and lets you know He has all authority and He rules the nations. Right. Well, I, I haven't read that yet in the commentary. It probably, it might be in there because Dr. Lessing, who wrote the commentary, actually is pretty he's thorough. He's a pretty good preacher. He's pretty One good. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty thorough too. So um, we'll, we'll see what he has to say when, when Jonah he's, gets he's to with, Nineveh. Professoring, he's back in the pulpit in a congregation. Yeah, I think he's actually back in Fort the, Wayne. That's where he's preaching. Well, he's a pastor. From, from what I heard, and I could be wrong, I think he went back to teach at Concordia, Chicago. But uh, either way, he's a good scholar. He knows what he's talking about. He's very thorough. I mean, for a, for a, book, that, for a book in the Bible that's only four chapters long, this is how much he has to write on it. So, I mean, he has a lot to say about, about Jonah. 
And there's a lot there, but we're not going to get into all the nitty gritty. We're just going to get into some of the good details that you that are really helpful to know. Okay. But has let me ask this question: Has anyone ever heard someone say uh, that Jonah wasn't a real story? Oh yeah. Yeah. What do you? Uh, what do you believe about that? Did 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 Jonah actually happen or not? Yes. Uh, yes. yes. Okay, you'll say yes. What what makes you say yes? And I'm just I'm just kind of asking because it's right here. Because it's in the Bible, right? <laughs> yeah. Because it's in the Bible. Well, this is this is an interesting point that I that I it, it needs to be addressed because you know I I was even telling my mom I was like we're going to talk about Jonah, and she said. I just have to ask, did Jonah actually happen? Not that she didn't believe, but she had heard that it had, but like she, you know, she saw on the news and someone said, it's like, oh, I believed all these things. And then when I found out that Jonah wasn't really swallowed by a whale, then I really grew up or something. I don't know what the deal is, but it, it's, there's this general thought that, uh, you know, it's just, it's just too fantastical that, that Jonah could be swallowed by a fish, a whale, you know, it's modern, it's interpreted nowadays as a whale, and it could have been a giant fish. Who knows what happened? But he was swallowed by a fish of some sort, and he lived in that fish's belly for three days, and then was spit out, right? And uh, some, some say, you know, you have all these scholars, these uh, critical theorists, basically, saying, um, well, you know, that's not really what happens in real life, so there's po very possible it didn't happen, right? And that's, I mean, that, that sadly is the state of a lot of scholarship nowadays, is that they'll say, uh, well, you know, the way we can tell if something is true is if it is inside the realm of what we understand to be normal. And I, and I read something like that and I think, how arrogant are you to think that you have the ultimate standard on what is normal? And just because you haven't seen a miracle happen means that no miracles could ever happen, right? But sadly, in a lot of, um, in a lot of more liberal churches, you have higher-ups who are top authorities or top bishops or something like that saying, no, I don't believe that Jonah was actually swallowed by a fish. No, I don't actually believe that Jesus multiplied the, the fish and the loaves into 5,000. No, I don't actually believe all these miracles. What I do believe, though, is the moral that we get from this story. And that's how they wiggle out of acknowledging biblical truth for the sake of friendship with the world, to put it bluntly, right? Because they don't want to face hardship in actually testifying to the great miraculous works of the Almighty God, and they'll just say, well, it only matters what we learn as far as the moral of the story, right? Like, um, one of my, uh, when I was on vicarage, um, and uh, we were in a town in Ohio uh, that, you know, uh, it was a Missouri Synod congregation, and, and then there was the um, ELCA congregation down the road, more liberal, and one lady who was kind of going back and forth, but she said, what? she asked my supervisor, she said, Pastor, what is the difference between this Lutheran church and that 
in, in that Lutheran church. And he said, instead of getting into the, the, all the different stuff, he just said, well, how about this? Next time you go there, ask the pastor, is Jonah a true story? And she goes, uh, okay, sure. So she goes, and then she comes back like a week or two later, and, she, and, and he sees her and goes, hey, how'd it go? And she goes, oh my goodness, pastor, I asked him what you said to ask him, and you won't believe what he told me. And he goes, oh, what did he say? And she said, he said, well, it doesn't really matter if Jonah was a true story or not. It only matters what we learn from it. And she's like, Pastor, what does that mean? And he said, well, that's the difference. The difference is that we believe Scripture to be the very Word of God, the inspired, inerrant Word of God, and really they don't, you know. Got some dogs in here. Uh, <laughs> um, they don't. And they show it by trying to um, say, well, like, it basically turns into what a friend of mine used to say, buffet Bible. You know, you pick and choose the points that you want to believe, and then you leave the rest on the table, right? So, so it's worth getting into this because top scholars say, well, Jonah is a parable, or Jonah is purely allegory. It's purely metaphorical, right? it's just like, well, okay, let's get into this. Nowhere in the structure of the language, nowhere in how it's presented, says that, that this is a parable. Because there are parables in the Old Testament, and there are clear markers and indications for that. This is presented as a true historical narrative. That it actually happened. That God came to Jonah, and he told him to go and preach to the people of, of Nineveh for them to repent and believe, and then, as we'll see, what happens after that, right? This actually happened. Um, and just because it's a bit fantastical doesn't mean we shouldn't believe it. But the biggest reason why we should believe that it's true, and I'll move on after this, not only can you look and say, you know, the structure of it, uh, people will say, well, how could he walk three days through the city of Nineveh? Because it's not that big. It's not big enough to take a three days walk. It's like, well, there's the greater suburbs and things like that of that place that, he, that it would have taken that long, right? So there's all these reasons to say that this actually happened. These, and why would this huge place repent and believe in the Israelite God? And there's historical reasons to say, well, the Assyrians at the time were very weak. And they were very volatile politically. And any sort of warning from the gods, as they would see, or God, the one claiming to be the one true God, there's plenty of reason for them to believe we will be destroyed because we already have been destroyed in some way. And if it's coming, there's no reason why we shouldn't believe it and believe in this God who is threatening to destroy us if we don't repent. Right? So there's all these reasons to say that it's true. But the one reason why we should say that it's true is exactly what Pastor Klux said, was that Jesus Christ himself claims that this is true. Right? They ask for a sign, and he says, the only sign that will be given to this generation is the sign of Jonah. 
And just as he spent three days in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man will spend three days in the heart of the earth, right? And that just as Jonah, who was as good as dead, literally came back from death in the belly of the fish, so the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will come forward from actual death, right? So it's, it's all this type and shadow foreshadowing what would happen in Christ. And this is the biggest, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways to do apologetics, right? Trying to defend the faith. And um, I'm, I know some of the tactics and you can get into all that stuff, but I think the strongest, one of the strongest um, tools in the shed for apologetics for the Christian faith is to say, listen, we can prove from eyewitness testimony, which in the court of law is as good as gold, that Jesus Christ died and rose from the dead. And if Jesus Christ, the only man in history to die and be in the tomb for three days and then rise from the dead, if he says something is true, we probably should pay attention to that. Right? We probably should listen to what he has to say. And if he says that Jonah is true, I mean, Jonah's, Jonah's got to be true. Right? I mean, this guy has such authority that he died and rose again. We should believe what he says. So, all that is to, is to kind of set this up. And I, I, I handed this out. Um, this is the introductory material from the Lutheran Study Bible that some of you all have. Um, and Luther has some things to say about Jonah. Um, and uh, there's some challenges for the readers and then blessings. And then on the back, there's a map to kind of see uh, Jonah's travels, right? And the dispute about where Tarshish is, right? Where he was trying to flee to. We'll, we'll, we'll tackle these things as we kind of get through them. But I guess some background on who Jonah is. Do y'all know who Jonah is apart from this book? Who is Jonah? Would it, or is he only known for this book and what happens here? He's only known for this book and what happens here. He's only known for this book. <laughs> yeah. Popularly, yes. He, he's, he's really known mainly for this account. But Jonah actually is found elsewhere in 2 Kings uh, during the reign of uh, Jeroboam II. Right? Uh, yeah, King Jeroboam II. And Luther talks about that a little bit there, where he says that... Um, uh, there was some dispute. It's kind of interesting, the ideas of like the rabbinical background on these prophets. The rabbis at one point in time taught that Jonah was the son of the widow that was raised from the dead by the prophet Elijah. You know, that was, that, that was their like connection to him because he's the son of... Um, <clears throat> he's named as a Jonah, the son of... Um, sorry, Jonah the son of Amittai, um, which means truthfulness, right? It's the son of truthfulness. And uh, as Luther says, they say that it's because um, 
the widow said to Elijah when he raised him from the dead, now I know that the word of your mouth is true. And that, that I mean, is that possible? Sure, but you don't necessarily need to make that stretch to connect him to the prophets. Luther makes a good point saying he claims himself to be a Hebrew and this widow and her son were Gentiles. So that doesn't really connect. You know, he says, if you want to believe it, believe it, but I won't because of these things. The point is, though, is that Jonah um, was a Hebrew and he... Uh, he was a Hebrew, and he was called to be a prophet. And Luther points out that he was living at the time of Hosea, Amos, and Joel, right? And if you read in 2 Kings, you'll see that, uh, what is that, 2 Kings 14, where um, King Jeroboam II restored again the border of Israel from Hamath as far as the Sea of uh, of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord. So basically, in the northern kingdom of Israel, King Jeroboam II regained a lot of land from the Assyrians. And so that's, and it was with the aid of Jonah, the prophet. So he gave him the true word of God about these things happening. So we'll see that that's kind of some incentive why Jonah might not want to go to Assyria, since he was part of the reason why Assyria lost some battles at the hands of the northern kingdom, uh, the northern kingdom of Israel, right? That's some incentive to say, why would I want to go and preach to the people that we just conquered, right? Uh, and, and that's a natural human uh, temptation, I guess you could say, right? Say, why would I want to go and talk to the people that we just uh, conquered in some form or fashion and tell them that they should believe? I mean, wouldn't that just be adding insult to injury? Um, so that's, that's, that's some insight into the surrounding context of Jonah. Um, and let me see here. Jonah also, his name means dove, right? It's just, what are, no, like, let me ask this. What are doves known for? Peace. Peace, but as far as just the animal itself. Are doves known as being particularly intelligent? Messengers. Well, those are like carrier pigeons. But <laughs> well, well, if you're going to go... I guess there's a difference between a pigeon and a dove. Slightly, I think. But the, the thing is, is that a, do, a dove, if you're going to go dove hunting, is it really that hard to hunt doves? No. Yeah, they're kind of stupid. They're flighty, right? They're always trying to seek some sort of comfort, or if they, if if there's any indication of uh, danger, they're they're out of there, right? So does that kind of mean that Jonah's living up to his namesake here, right? Yeah, sorry. No, I. Oh, okay. I thought you were gonna say something. Um, so Jonah's name means dove. In the Hebrew, that also kind of means double-minded, right? Um, and, and so he has this, uh, he doesn't have a lot going for him in terms of how he's named. Um, because I think also elsewhere, Dr. Lessing points out that elsewhere, I think it's Hosea, but it basically talks about how at some points in Israel's history, they are likened unto a dove 
right? Whenever they're facing persecution, they, they try and flee from that persecution in the wrong direction, right? They, in fact, go deeper into danger by giving in to the pressures of the pagan world and worshiping false gods just so they do not face any sort of persecution from the pagan nations, right? So in some ways, Jonah equates to the nation... Um, <clears throat> He, some, he, in some ways, equates to the nation of Israel uh, in some form or fashion, right? I mean, does that, does that kind of make sense? That um, it's not a compliment to be called a dove in this context, right? I mean, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, it's not necessarily flattering. Yeah, and hunting also, they also circle and then come right back mm -hmm. to the danger that they just left. Yeah. Which, you know. Yeah. Kind of stupid. <laughs> but it's also funny because in the Psalms, there are, there are some cries by the psalmist when he's facing danger that, he would, that, that, that the Lord would, uh, would enable him to fly away to peace and safety, right? Like a dove seeks to do. So there's, there's all this backstory, right? And this deeper sort of... Uh, preliminary information that it helps to have before we just dive right into Jonah because otherwise you just say like you know what's his problem God tells you to go do something go do it right um, but it, 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 it helps to know these things so with all that info there are also before we really dive in you'll see on the back there under the map um, that there are, there's the outline, and it's broken down into different scenes, right? Scene one uh, and two is what we'll get through today, uh, where it's all of chapter one, okay? Um, and you'll kind of see how this is broken up. Oh, here. Um, so you'll see, you'll see that uh, there's scene one and scene two. So. Scene one is the account of Jonah's call and his reaction, verses one through three. So how about, how about we start there? Who wants to read Jonah chapter one, verses one through three? Who would like to read that for I'll us? I'll try it. Sure. Now the word of the Lord uh, came unto Jonah, <clears throat> the son of whomever. Amidatok, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, mm -hmm. that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before men. But Jonah rose up from to flee unto Tarshish, I guess, mm -hmm. from the presence of the Lord, and went down to uh, Joppa, Joppa mm -hmm. and he found a ship going to Tarish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarish from the presence of the Lord. Okay, so we've got this quick introduction with what's going on here. Where is Tarshish? It's at the base of Spain. You think? According to this. Well, that's kind of the debate. Uh, that some people believe that because he's trying to get far away from God, 
it could possibly be uh, what's modernly known as a Tartessus in Spain. And you see in that subset map that it's way across the Mediterranean, right? That he's, some people think, well, that's possibly the case because he's trying to get as far away from God as he, as, 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 as he can, as if he could, right? Mm -hmm. um, but there's also reason to believe that it's really Tarsus. It's just that shorter distance north oh. there uh, because Tarshish is mentioned elsewhere, like in Genesis, I think chapter 10, where uh, they're talking about the descendants of Noah. And um, you see uh, one of the descendants of Noah's sons, Java, which is also known as uh, Greece, the people who established Greece. His son, one of his sons was Tarshish. And so if it's near Greece and all these other places are near Greece, why would it mention Tarshish if it was all the way across yes. the Mediterranean? You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So that's, that's, that's the argument. So where, where was he when he started? He was in... Joppa. No, 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 no he, he went down Joppa. to Joppa. Um, Arise, go to Nineveh. Well, he was somewhere probably near Gath-Hefer. Um, because he was from, yeah. If you look, if you oh, look, yeah. Yeah, that's his hometown. So he's probably up there, or at least nearby. Gath Gath Hefer. Oh, yeah. He goes down to Joppa to catch a boat, and he uh, goes to flees to flee to Tarshish. Most likely, it's Tarsus, and Tarsus was known as a place that uh, was a mining community and um, was actually a very wealthy place, a place of trade and kind of a place of luxury. So it would make sense that he would want to flee to somewhere where he could be somewhat comfortable, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you're giving his name Dove, right, then he, it makes more sense that he would flee there. Uh, as opposed to all the way across the Mediterranean where he would have no idea who's there or how to talk to them or whatever, right? Well, we can also say it was on the way to Nineveh. <laughs> well, it really is, right? Nineveh's way over there. Nineveh, well, he's going out of his way, he's for going, sure. He's going but the way to get there is down to Euphrates River. And yeah. the quickest way to Euphrates River is to go to Tarsus. Well, not really, because the thing is, is that... Well, what's he, the quickest way there, then? Walking? He would he would he would walk north and and travel on land as a straight line most likely. Well, but that's all mountains. So at least five hundred miles west of of Nineveh. Well, yeah. Okay. Better off taking the taking the ship to Tars. Yeah. So he would have. You know, Here's the he thing. He would have had to go back down to Tarsus or Jaffa or someplace along the coast and then go inland. So, Here's I the mean, thing, he, though. You were talking about weeks or months. To make that trip, but he probably thought he was far enough away to be safe. Here's the thing, though: the Israelites hate the sea. They are not seafaring people at all. They're not. In fact, you see that um, uh, at this time, or in for most of Israel's history, they're a landlocked uh, they're a landlocked country. The people on the coast are the Philistines, right? They're the seafaring people. They're the ones, and them like them, who 
go out on the sea because the Israelites have always seen the sea as a place of chaos. It's not a place you want to be. It's not a place that you can dwell and have safety and comfort, or at least any sort of semblance of a life, right? They do not go to the sea. So it's very interesting, like if they were going to travel somewhere, they were going to travel mostly by land, or maybe a river, if they you know, were going to chance it, right? If that's the quickest way, a river is safer than getting out on the open water, for the, in their thinking. Truly, this is, this is the mindset of the, the Hebrews at this time. Uh, they don't go on the sea. Uh, the sea is a place of chaos. So it makes it all the more interesting that Jonah, being someone who is not a seafaring person, decides to chance it by going out on the open water. Right? Um, I don't know the, the quickest route to Nineveh, um, but yeah, he probably would have gone north up, because at that point, Damascus and a little bit north of that, that was all owned, that was all under the rule of the northern kingdom. So he'd be safe up till, until he got about to the Euphrates, and then he could go down and take a boat or yeah, whatever. Yeah, that's what, this, this Bible here has mm -hmm. the normal routes of travel, which is go way up north mm -hmm. and then come back down. Yeah. Go further up than that. Tab more. Oh, yeah. Okay, you got it right here. Mm -hmm. I guess that's the normal route right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you get up to that point and just take the river down and then yeah. up and north and everything like that. So yeah, that's... But you can tell, like, he's, he's not doing the normal thing. He's not... He's obviously not wanting to do what God wants him to do. And we're going to see later on in chapter 4, and if you want to take a sneak peek at the reasons why, it's chapter 4, verse 2. We're not going to get into that right now. It helps to kind of be held in suspense uh, a little bit. So, okay, in those first three verses, we see a lot of things. We see um, Jonah's call to arise and go to Nineveh. Uh, and call out against it for the, for their evil has come up before me. In what other way, what other city can this be likened to where its wickedness goes up before God? San Francisco. Sodom and Gomorrah. Did you say San Francisco? Yeah. Yeah, well, you're not. He said San Francisco. Well, you're not far off. Uh, I'll be honest with you. Um. So, so yeah, Sodom and Gomorrah is another place where uh, the cries of the people have gone up to God and he hears of the wickedness, the absolute wickedness of, the, of, of that place and he is going to destroy it, right? And that's the same story for Nineveh. So, it's interesting, you see, you know, with Jonah, and he, he's been successful in calling out Jeroboam II, calling to repentance. He's seen what God can do. And God calls him to do something here. And he flees. Right? First impressions. What do why do y'all think he flees? Well, the Israelites have been doing that forever. I mean, it's <laughs> in his blood. What's that? No. It's in his blood. They flee from, yeah. from those things? Okay. I mean... 
when he's when he's challenged, even though the Lord tells him to do something, he does just the opposite. Well, as in defense of the rest of the prophets before him, Moses he he pushed back a little bit. He said, "Lord, I'm not capable. I, I I can't speak well enough to go do the things that you want me to do." And the Lord kept saying, "Well, okay, fine. Get your brother Aaron. He'll speak for you, right?" Fine, do this, do that, but you're not getting out of this. And even then, when uh, later on in the Exodus, when God was saying, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai with you know God, and he said, I'm going to destroy these people. Look at what they've done. And Moses, instead of saying, okay, yeah, sure, go ahead. We'll start fresh, right? He says, no. And he, he, he says, far be it from you, Lord. And he he intercedes for the people. And that's what a prophet ought to do, uh, as reluctant as he might do it. Jeremiah faced persecution, Isaiah in the same way. All these true prophets, you know, they, they were probably hesitant and reluctant to do this stuff, but they went ahead and did it. Only after they were challenged by the Lord. Well, I mean, what do you want from a sinful man, yeah. right? But the thing is, is that Jonah goes the extra mile in, getting, in trying to get out of this. He doesn't just push back. He just says, see you later. I'm gone. That's Gentile blood in him. Well, okay, yeah, we're not going to get into the Gentile blood. Anyways, so, uh, because they're not getting into that. But anyways, so what What other reason... Karen's safe, keeping you in her prayer. <laughs> what other reasons why, do you think that he would flee from this call to proclaim repentance to the people of Assyria? I'd be afraid they'd kill him. Yeah. yeah that's, that's a pretty good reason. It's too hard. That's tough. Yeah. Yep. That's what? I remember Jonah said, God, I knew, I knew, I knew that you were going to have Nineveh destroy Israel. Why do you have He's so merciful to them. <laughs> just kill them all and get it over so we don't have to get scattered from Jerusalem to the British Isles to the Americas and the yeah, okay. Hawaii. But so, so we see you make a good point. That's and that's, that's a little bit of a preview of what's to come in chapter 4, right? Jonah literally says... He prayed, it prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why, you know, that it displeased him that the people would actually be saved. Right. He didn't want them to be saved. He doesn't get it. He, you can, you can safely interpret this to mean that the reason, and I guess it helps going forward to see why he's so reluctant. Because he is of the mind that says only salvation is for salvation is only for the Jews. Right. It's not for the Gentiles. God is merciful to his people. Right? But not to these people who profane the Lord God by worshiping false gods. Not to these people who are, you know, dirty and nasty and horrible to all things that are good and decent. Of course not. Why would God be so merciful to them when they don't deserve it? He doesn't get it. Right? He doesn't get the gospel. And there is the gospel in the Old Testament, right? It's clear that this promise is for all nations. Through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through all people, right? And it comes to fulfillment in Christ, for sure. 
But this is a clear, and there, there are other indications uh, from uh, the time of Elisha, right? Uh, Naaman, the, the Assyrian, who is leprous and then is healed of this disease by the Lord God, right? There's all these indications in the Old Testament of Gentiles being saved, coming to repentance and faith. But Jonah doesn't want to hear it. He doesn't believe that it should be for them. He is, uh, he is stepping outside of his bounds, right? Stepping outside of his bounds. Um, and he ought to understand who God really is, that he is a just God, but he is also gracious and, and merciful to those who trust and believe in him, right? Uh, he certainly, he certainly does punish sin. He certainly does punish the unbeliever who obstinately rejects salvation, rejects the Lord God. But for those who turn and who hear the word of God and who turn away from their sin toward him and his promises, he surely does save them, right? Um, so that's the reason why he flees, and he goes down to Joppa and gets on a boat, goes all the way to hire a boat and a crew and everything like that. He literally has, he literally has to buy a boat. That, that's what it means to pay the fare. He buys the boat and hires the crew to get out of Dodge, wow. right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he goes all this way to, to avoid this. So let's read further on um, and see what happens when he gets on the boat, and then we'll finish up here, okay? Uh, and we'll go a little bit over because we started a little bit late, but we'll get the full hour in, okay? Um, so who wants to read verse 4 through 17 of chapter 1? But the Lord hurried a hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship was threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil had come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whom, who, whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where do you come from? What is your country? And of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For, for the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to the dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us 
innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from raging. The men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay, so uh, this is there's 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 a lot going on here, right? So um, this is where we get into an interesting part of Jonah that when you read it a little more closely, you find out there's a lot of irony, and it's almost satirical, right? How ridiculous this is that Jonah being a Hebrew who fears the Lord who made the earth and the sea, thinks that he can escape on the sea from the Lord of the heaven and earth, right? This is comical in some ways, right? Uh, and it's also comical to think that he goes, that, that, that he's not only fleeing on a ship, he thinks that he can get further away by going down into the belly of the ship, away from the Lord, and he, you know, thinks that he's safe, He's fast asleep in the midst of this raging storm. Uh, I mean, it's 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 just kind of comical, isn't it? It's just if you if if you really think about it, it's just silly. Uh, well, it's also the story of man and mankind. We always feel like we can control our own environment. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're yeah. We always play God. We <laughs> always know better. That's what he's saying. God, you should just destroy that city. Yep. I'm leaving. Do what you will, I say that's what needs to be done. Yep. Yeah, because it doesn't make a lot of sense to throw board over throw overboard all the freight because now you lighten the ship and it makes it like a cork and it's gonna go into <laughs> And it bobs even more, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the, the lower part of the ship is the smoother place to ride. Yeah. It's not as bouncy as up on deck. Yeah. You're further away from the center yeah. of the of gravity and everything like that in the ship. Um, closer but knowing that he plays the straight means he bought the ship, but means he thinks you know, he can do it better. <laughs> For me. Yeah, so you can read in a lot of things here yeah. that make a lot of sense, uh, you know, given, given the understanding of mankind, human nature, human, uh, sinful human nature, right? Was Jonah um, married? What's that? Was Jonah married? It doesn't say. Probably was, not. My thought was that... The reason he wanted to be thrown thrown overboard so he could save all the cargo in the ship so his wife could end up with the inheritance. Oh, that's not bad. Well, they already threw the cargo off. Well, not all of it. When he was sleeping. They just lightened the load. They didn't say they threw it all off. Okay, well, we're not going to get into all that business. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I mean, that's an interesting thought. Thank you for reading deep into the text. It's very good. But I don't, I don't know if we need to really get into that part. Um, but so let's just go by this bit by bit here, at least little chunks. So the, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. We see that the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled cargo and Jonah had gone down to the inner part of the ship and laid down, was fast asleep. The captain wakes him up, right? Uh, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell on Jonah. And they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? And where, you know, they have time to interrogate him, right? Have a time, time for a trial. Uh, 
Um, what's that? Oh, this? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, I keep driving me nuts. Okay. Sorry, it's I fidget a lot with this thing. So I'll just do this. That's pretty clever what you're Thank doing. Thank you very much. Um, for everyone on the audio, I'm twirling the marker in my fingers. So here we go. Um, where do you come from? What is your country? And what and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, right? And, and, and it's kind of interesting. In your English translations here, you can probably see verse 5, when the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God, lowercase, right? Mm -hmm. That's to distinguish their false gods, right? They are not the true God that they are crying out to. And then when the, that's to reflect the Hebrew, right? That it's that when the captain comes and says, awake, uh, call out to your God, lowercase g, right? Call out to your God, perhaps the God, lowercase g, will give a thought to us that we may not perish. And then when they start asking him the questions, they say, who are you, where are you from, what people are you from, right? And he says, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, all caps. That is Yahweh. I fear Yahweh, the one who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who told Moses, I am that I am, right? He is the only one who is, right? And you can also sense this, this, the comical nature of this, right? Because if he's confessing, I fear the Lord, the only one who is, right? It's just like Jim says, like it's like you think you can do better. And then when you actually make this confession, you show how foolish you really are, right? So you see, uh, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, capital G, right? The only, right? Who made the sea and the dry land. And the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, Yahweh, right? Because he had told them, right? He, he told them, yeah, I'm trying to get away. I'm trying to flee this God who made the heavens and the earth and all the seas and everything like that. Pay no attention. You know, um, and what does it mean, though, I guess this is one thing to really get to the bottom of. What does it mean to flee the presence of the Lord? What is he trying to do? Does he really think in his heart of hearts that he's going to get away from God? I think he thinks he can. Yeah, well, where is the presence of the Lord? And we went through this in Hebrew. At that point, yeah. Well, we went through this in Hebrews. Um, there, at the time, you know, the time of Israel, the nation in the Old Testament, there is a specific location of where God the Most High dwells. Where is that place? In the temple. In the temple. In the Holy of Holies. That's right. He is fleeing from that good and gracious presence of the Lord. And we'll see later on in chapter 4, right? He's fleeing that good and gracious presence because he doesn't want the Ninevites to benefit from that presence. Right? That's what he means by fleeing the presence of the Lord. He's fleeing from God in his most gracious uh, uh, state, which is ironic because then he runs into God's wrath. He runs exactly to where he He's going to, right? I mean, it's, it's ironic. He's fleeing the gracious, merciful presence of the Lord 
right into his wrath, and he's surprised by this? Think about it. Not only is he fleeing the gracious presence of the Lord for the Assyrians that he's called to go proclaim to, he's fleeing the gracious and merciful presence of the Lord for himself. Isn't that crazy? What we do every day. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Crazy. It's what, what we do all the time. And That's we what do we do all the time. Thankfully, gently knock back into our That's senses. right. Sometimes Thankfully. not so gently, but usually yeah. gently. <laughs> Each week, way. hopefully, we come to Sunday and we <laughs> confess our sins and are absolved by Christ, right? So it's... it's, it's it's just ironic. It's just, it's, it's just funny. So he says, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. They were exceedingly afraid. What have you done? Uh, and they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land because it's, it's kind of interesting. What, they're kind of doing what he did, right? They, they're, they're trying to solve it themselves in some way, but they're also trying to save a man of God, right? And the captain. <laughs> yeah. Well, he owns the, ship. the owner of the ship, yeah. yeah, right. The person who hired all of them and, and you know, they don't, they don't want to get back to port and say, hey, where's your benefactor? Well, it's a funny story. Well, they're hedging their bets, too. I mean, they're, they're saying, if, if your God is actually can do this, we kind of need you around. Exactly. Your God to help us out. That's a good yeah. point. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're, there's all they're, that there. They're, they're, they got one foot on either side of the boat right now. <laughs> so they're going to take their chances yep. with him. And then when it gets to the point where they can't get back, they say, we're right. going. <laughs> That's right. You help us. Right. So they rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, to Yahweh, right? They called out to him, and we can assume safely that they called out in faith, right? O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us, and lay not on us, Innocent blood for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows, all indicating that they truly worship the one true God. Interesting. So they switched over that quick? <laughs> You'd be amazed what a terror of conscience can do to someone's... Uh, uh, to to someone to bring them to the true understanding of salvation and faith. No atheists and foxholes. Yeah. <laughs> so, so yeah, you see, and and that that is. Uh... Oh dear. Hello. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's, okay. I'm That's okay. So to wrap up here a little bit, um, we see that. Really, it's, it's, it's funny. It's like, they switched that quickly? Um, yeah, because that's what, that's what knowledge of our sin does, right? Um, and, and, and there's, when someone is made aware of their sinfulness because of the threat of death, right? The wages of sin is death. Um, and in some way, in some way, Jonah fulfilled his calling as a prophet, uh, indirectly against his own will, to what we can only what what we must assume are Gentile, pagan, 
mariners, right? Mm -hmm. That God still fulfilled his purpose of bringing them to the faith when, when Jonah should have done it directly with the word of God. Uh, but it's interesting that these men, these mariners, because of what was going on, called out to the Lord in faith, the one true God in faith, asking that they not that 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 they not be accounted for his life, right? Interesting that God is still working <laughs> even when we would be, you know, obstinate against him. That's not to say that we should be, right? But God still fulfills his purposes in spite of us, right? Which is all the more reason for us to get with the program and do as he has called us to do. Because he's going to do what he is going to do, regardless of us, we might as well go along with him, right? Never underestimate how quick the Holy Spirit can work. Exactly. Yeah. And, yeah, how quickly things and can turn around. These guys were really scared. I mean, they were scared. They were going to die. And so when you get that scared in anything, you do go to the Lord. Yeah. Well, yeah, and, and they, but they wouldn't know unless... Jonah told him. Jonah, Jonah told, him. told him, exactly. It's still yeah. faith comes yeah. by hearing yeah. and hearing the word of God. That's right. Right? Yeah. It's still the Romans' he's understanding. Still right? that seed. He exactly. That he seed. told them, and they, sure, they cast lots. That's some form of like divination in some way, but, but that's not to say, you know, that we should always cast lots for everything or this, that, or the other. But God worked through that, that means to show, I'm the one who's really doing this. This is the reason why this is happening. And then, really, we see, this is a small point, but in the Hebrew uh, Bible, really, verse 17 is chapter 2, verse 1. Some, for some reason, the Hebrew splits it off, splits off chapter 1 there, where uh, the men, the mariners, um, after throwing Jonah into the sea, they feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. Right? Well, then they would have had uh, five chapters. <laughs> no, no, they would have just tacked on one more. This was totally separate from the first chapter and the second chapter, so no. they kind of broke it all. No, 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 they they added it on to the chapter. That's I'm I'm just throwing out there as a bit of trivia, really, to say that like in the English they tacked on verse 17 to chapter one to show that that's in our understanding that's where the split happens is that. Um, Jonah is swallowed by uh, a great fish and was in the belly of the fish for three days. And that kind of makes sense, given what happens in chapter 2, where Jonah prays his psalm, you know. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that next time. But uh, you see there that in the Hebrew mindset, that's where the break happens, is when they toss him into the sea and they fear the Lord exceedingly, they give thanks and they sacrifice. And then it goes on to the next chapter. For some reason in English, we decided to just tack that on as the next part, you know, so. It's interesting, it says it swallowed Jonah. It didn't say it ate Jonah. Right. It just swallowed him whole. Yeah. I mean, if you eat something, you've got to chew it, and it's got to go through the digestive system and all that stuff, but right. it just swallowed. Yeah. Probably, now. Probably a catfish. <laughs> well, the break to me is interesting in that if you keep it in chapter 1, it shows that the path the Lord had chosen for the men 
in the ship was to save them for whatever purpose we don't know. And the purpose God had, and the path God chose for Jonah was he needed to do a little bit more work with them. Mm. And so he had to fish swallow them. Whereas if you put it the other way, yeah. it's a little bit more of a narrative, an allegory for Jonah in chapter 2. A whole different thing. Right. Well, yeah, you think of think of it that way. Yeah, if you take it, break it up in those chapters where it's on, where where you see that he is swallowed by the great fish in the beginning of chapter 2, and there's that clean break there, Jonah's as good as dead in the sea, right? You have no reason to believe if you stop there that he would actually live. That could just be the end, right? And Jonah might have been thinking, okay, either go to Nineveh and get killed, or they just throw me in the sea and I get killed. I'm going to get killed anyway. Yeah. But <laughs> at this point, <laughs> yeah. the purpose of it was to show God's plan. God has a plan for all of us. Right. Well, and he has a plan for everyone that was on that ship. Right. And and you want to see this too. In chapter one. Yeah. The overarching the overarching view of God in this book is one of grace and mercy. And we don't see it yet for Jonah. We actually kind of do because he doesn't die. Right. He's swallowed by the great fish. But you see, you know, um, for what for what purposes do the men you know, for what purpose do the men believe? That is the purpose, that they would believe, right? That they would be saved by faith, right? That they would believe in the one true God and give thanks to him for their deliverance. And they make vows, right? They, they vow to follow the one true God. So it's, it's all very interesting. All this stuff is happening um, contrary to the will of Jonah. God's will be done. And we just pray that we're in that will as well, you know. Uh, so it, we'll stop there. Any any questions on on, on all this? I just have one comment. Yeah. I don't know whether you watched the Alien Theorist. Yeah. And their comment on this was that the great great fish was probably a submarine. <laughs> That's fine. <laughs> Dr. Evil submarine. My goodness. Oh my goodness. It's amazing. It amazes me that, you know, they can't deny what's in the scripture because there's proof all over the place. But then they come up with all these ideas of how to explain it so that it's, you know, doesn't point you to the word and God and and when I just you know, yeah. I sit there and laugh at them all the time. All sorts of reasons not to believe. It's yeah. it's here's here's something that you know was it when I took when I took a little bit of time off and I went to Houston to see my parents uh, a couple months ago or whatever before we got into all this. I I went to Memorial in Houston. Pastor Murray had this sermon. I forget the text, but I remember this part of the sermon where he said, you know, he was when he was a kid go to his grandparents' house, and they'd have all these treats and goodies. They'd have, you know, homemade sweets, baked goods, all this good stuff to eat. And if any of the kids were upset, the grandparents would be like, oh, here, have this, you know, basically to try and get them to cheer up. And he said, it's just like faith. It's just like God's grace. He gives us this great gift, and it takes so much for us to stay mad that to remain in unbelief is a tremendous act of stubbornness. You have to be really stubborn 
to find every reason not to believe, as opposed to just see what God has given us in his gracious word for our salvation, right? It's a very interesting thing. It's exactly the same sort of thing. Mm -hmm. It takes a lot of work to not believe. Okay. Go out of your way. That's that right. You have to. You have to. Spend untold hours trying to prove something that doesn't exist. That's right. That's right. All right. Well, if we're a little over time, but um, uh, thank you for uh, indulging me a little bit over time here. But um, uh, about let's 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 go ahead and close things off with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.